please stand for the reading of the gospel. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may read it. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for your word and that you have given us all that we need to live as love and hope in this world. Renew our hearts and minds in you and may your spirit breathe refreshment, renewal, purpose, and power in us and through us today. This is our prayer offered in the name of Christ. Amen. This week I read a story about a young man named Paul whose older brother had given him a new car as a Christmas gift. Paul was leaving work one afternoon and as he walked toward his car, he saw a kid obviously admiring it. As Paul got nearer, the boy asked, Sir, is this your car? Paul replied, Yes, my brother gave it to me for Christmas. The boy could not believe what he had heard. Incredulously, the boy replied, You mean... Your brother gave this car to you? Gosh, I wish. And his voice trailed off for a few moments. And in those few moments, Paul knew how the boy would finish the sentence because he had heard it a lot since Christmas. Everyone wished that they had a brother like Paul's. But the boy's actual response when he finished his sentence jarred Paul 
all the way down to his toes. You could tell the boy had collected his thoughts and he began to finish his sentence. I wish, I wish I could be a brother like that. Like the young man in the story, Paul, have you ever been so sure of what someone was going to say to you, yet what they said caught you totally off your guard and jarred you from your head to your toes? That illustration sums up how the Jewish people may have felt after hearing the words of the prophet Micah in today's text that I will be preaching from. It is important to have some background information about what was happening in the world 800 years before Jesus was born. The historical context of the book of Micah is not easy to discern, but here is what we do know, and that was Micah was a prophet in 8th century BC, and during that time, there were land disputes in the surrounding areas of Israel and Judah. Injustice and violence prevailed throughout the book of Micah. He presents incidences of political oppression and economic exploitation. Idolatry was present. Land was being seized from the weak by the powerful and greedy. People refused to listen to faithful preaching, and I promise you that that is in the book. Refugees were being robbed. Widows were being taken advantage of. Children's inheritance was being taken away. Politicians were failing to stand up for justice. Micah described over and over how people of power and prestige and even religious leaders despised justice and distorted the truth. Most people in Israel and Judah were nearly oblivious to what was happening in the world around them. They were content. They were living comfortably at that time. And it almost seemed that as if oppression and injustice were not affecting them, then they didn't need to be concerned. So, how dare these prophets, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and now Micah, these messengers of God, how dare them speak judgment to them? Yet, they are living as having forgotten God's faithfulness and God's saving acts in theirs and their ancestors' lives. The passage that we heard um, read just a few moments ago is a dialogue between God and the people. We heard that God had a controversy with the people and he wanted to talk about it. Oh, my people, he said, it sounds as if God has grown weary at the repeated unfaithfulness of, the, of his people. We hear that a second time 
in God's voice, O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? The next thing that the Lord says is he does not recount all the transgressions of the people. No, the Lord reminds them of how God has been at work in their lives through the years. Deliverance, freedom from slavery, the gift of good leaders, receiving a blessing instead of a curse, and finally, entrance into the promised land. This recitation of God's actions on their behalf made quite an impact on them. They heard what God said, not only with their ears, but with their hearts. The people recognized their individual and collective sinfulness and that they were not living the way God had called them to live. They had lost sight of God's desire for them, and yes, their relationship with God was broken. But what they offered to make things right with God illustrated how blind and how distant they had become. Burnt offerings of young calves, a thousand rams, numerous rivers of oil. These things may sound really weird to some of us, but they were not weird back then. Their offer to sacrifice their firstborn was most likely spoken as an exaggeration, perhaps as a way to prompt God to tell them what God wanted from them. Yet what God wanted, they were not expecting. They do not know this quite yet, but the offering that God was interested in receiving was the people offering themselves back to God. God wanted them to live their lives in right relationships with God and with others. And this is when Micah intercedes and speaks. His response is direct, succinct, and clear. Adam Matov. That is Hebrew for what Micah said. He has told you, O oh mortal, what is good. Many of you are well acquainted with the remainder of this verse. It is well known. We often find it printed on bookmarks or greeting cards or backpack tags. For those of us who grew up memorizing scripture, this was most likely one we would have memorized. He has told you, 
O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Do justice. We hear that word used a lot, especially in regards to social issues, environmental justice, racial justice, gender justice. Justice is not something to be afraid of, nor is it part of a political agenda. It can be controversial, it can be messy, But justice cannot be limited solely to moral determinations of right and wrong. Justice is also concerned with making relationships right. Justice, from a biblical perspective, is part of God's character. It is who God is, and it is grounded in God's righteousness. I was reading some last night, and I ran across an article that, of course, was on justice. And what I read provided me with a very simple and easy litmus test for how to determine injustice, and true justice. When true acts of justice are done, they are to be done in love and with a desire to honor and glorify God. When true acts True acts of justice are done. They are done with a desire to honor and glorify God. I spent some time this week practicing and learning how to say that first sentence in Hebrew. And many of you know who my teacher was. Hebrew is a beautiful language, and sometimes the English language is deficient to fully convey the intentions and the desire and the meanings of the words as they are intended to mean. And that is true of justice in the Micah passage because it takes two Hebrew words to even begin to wrap our eyes and arms and brains and hearts around justice. Mishpat and Zedakah have to be considered together. Mishpat means more than just the punishment of wrongdoing. It also means allowing people their rights. Mishpat is giving people what they are due. Sometimes it's punishment.
but it can be protection or care. It is about equity and accountability for our actions, especially our actions toward others. Zadaka is translated as being just or being righteous, which refers to living a life of right relationships with God and with others, with fairness and generosity and equity. It means treating others, treating all people as being made in the image of God treating people who are made in the image of God with dignity that they deserve. Throughout the Bible, justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Love kindness. When attempting to understand the depth of kindness, we use the Hebrew word hesed. Oftentimes, there are translations that say love mercy. Mercy is a little bit broader in scope, yet the word hesed encompasses steadfast love, compassion, goodness, faithfulness, and loyalty. It's bigger and broader than kindness. And it's not only feeling those things, but it is actions of those things shown to others. For it is how God acts toward us and who God wants us to be when we interact with others. Walk humbly with your God. We could also exchange the word reverently for humbly. For to walk reverently or humbly is the opposite of walking proudly or self-righteously. Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann suggests that walking humbly means being open to the great wisdom of God in our lives instead of only focusing on what we know, on our knowledge. It means paying attention to others who will be our companions along the way. Walking humbly also means that one bears a responsibility self-giving and self-sacrificing and self-emptying in order to become agents of transformation in the world. These verses are not a checklist for you to accomplish and put away in a drawer. This is a way of life that God calls his children to live. This is a way that we are called to treat others. It is our response 
to God's love and faithfulness and grace and generosity that God has given to us and expects us, requires us to give that to others, all others. These verses help us with an inner transformation that comes when we walk humbly with God and when it comes when we live out acts of justice and kindness. Paying attention to the words spoken through the prophet Micah and following in the footsteps of Jesus who modeled for us this way of life, who told us in the Beatitudes who is blessed. These are ways that we can offer ourselves to God and to God's desire for all of creation. I want to invite you this week to spend some time the amount is up to you, thinking about, considering, reflecting on what God might be requiring of you in the context of this passage in Micah. Are you oblivious to the injustices in this world because they do not affect you and your family? What about the violence all around that we see daily that comes over our news feeds over and over again? Sadly, we know of instances of people distorting the truth to their advantage at the expense of others. Seeking justice is often not an automatic response. Humility does not come naturally. And even though Micah outlines God's expectations for us very clearly and very succinctly and very easy to memorize, they are not nearly as easy to accomplish. God knows this about us, and so does Micah. For if you read further in Micah, if you read his last chapter, particularly towards the end of that chapter, we are reminded of the inexhaustible grace of God who loves us, forgives us, equips us for acts of service and justice, who offers us and all people hope. In his book, God Has a Dream, Desmond Tutu wrote, God calls on us to be partners to work for a new kind of society where people count where people 
matter. Where people matter more than things, more than possessions, where human life is not only respected, but positively revered. Where people will be secure and not suffer from the fear of hunger, from ignorance, from disease, from brutality. There will be more gentleness in this new society, more caring, more sharing, more compassion, more laughter. And where there is peace and not war. With that invitation to consider what God might be requiring of you in light of this verse, I'm going to end us with a prayer that will help us come to a place to begin becoming more intentionally aware of the circumstances that we find ourselves and where the words of the prophet Micah are echoing in our heads. It is a prayer that the people in 927 heard also. I consider it a prayer of unity. It doesn't matter if we're at 927 in the Faith Center, if we're here in the sanctuary, if we are online, I am going to offer this prayer, and I hope that it will be a prayer of your heart. God wants us to not just think about justice. God wants us to do justice. God wants us not only to love kindness, but to show kindness in how we live and how we treat others and how we model that for other people. And the good news is that you will not walk that path alone. You will walk with God. You will walk with others in this church and in this community. So let us pray. God, as we pray today, we ask these things. Expand our prayer to have faith of a mustard seed on behalf of those in need. Expand our expectations to think outside the box with help for those who feel hopeless. Expand our heart to feel empathy towards people that we have never even thought to care about. Expand our reach to connect with the ones we thought were too far gone. Expand our vision to see the need in front of me and us that we are totally blind to. 
Expand our generosity to obey your prompting and give without hesitation. Expand our mercy to love without judgment or explanation. Expand our influence to inspire others to do the same. Expand our service to do more with less when needed. Expand our light to champion and love people of every color. Expand our minds to seek justice the way that you desire. All these things we ask, Lord, to expand your kingdom in this community, in this state, in this nation, and in this world. Amen.